0: Welcome to this week's edition of On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow at Tarleton State University, and we are, it's a pleasure for us to be on, on KTRL 90.5 FM every week, right here from the campus of Tarleton, either on the radio or online at tarletonradio.com. And we are moving forward again with a series that we've been doing over the last several months uh, that has been focused on. Uh, The pandemic and some of the challenges and issues related to that and being a faculty member here that teaches political science and has taught for a number of years uh, undergraduates in terms of Texas and federal government. uh, One of the things that came to mind for me this past week. Uh, was uh, political culture. Now I'm throwing that term out there because uh, I want you to, to listen and think about it. And we're gonna talk about it today uh, because I think understanding political culture and understanding uh, how this has developed in our state and how people uh, view uh, the role of government in their lives has a lot in helping us understand uh, the challenges that both people and elected officials, political leaders are trying to navigate at this point and, and why in some ways they're responding the way that they do. And so I'm I'm uh, very pleased to be joined today uh, by Dr. Cal Gilson, uh, who is a faculty member at uh, SMU, a Southern Methodist University, and uh, uh, someone that I have met and, and had the chance to work with a little bit in the past, but someone who whose input I have valued in the classroom because of one of your books, uh, Lone Star Tarnished, a critical look at Texas politics and public policy, uh, which is uh, uh, not only helpful in helping students to understand how political culture is developed in the state, uh, but the chapters in that book that, that you have on, on policy issues IS VERY HELPFUL BECAUSE it, IT REALLY PUTS IT IN CONTEXT AND IT SHOWS THAT THESE, MANY OF THESE AREAS DEVELOPED OVER TIME AND YOU NEED TO HAVE THAT UNDERSTANDING OF of THE HISTORY OF THESE ISSUES IN THE STATE BEFORE YOU CAN REALLY UNDERSTAND uh, WHERE WE ARE TODAY AND WHY WE EITHER STRUGGLE OR CHALLENGE WITH SOME ISSUES uh, AND HOW WE ADDRESS uh, OTHERS. AND SO we're, WE'RE VERY PLEASED TO HAVE uh, uh, CAL GILSON WITH US TODAY. Uh, he has chaired the Department of Pil- Political Science at the University of Colorado Boulder. He has served as the founding director of the Keller Center for the Study of the First Amendment. Uh, from 1995 to 2001, he chaired the SMU Political Science Department and directed its John Tower Center for Political Studies. And I know that you are uh, called on regularly uh, here in Texas and and really uh, uh, nationally uh, to engage and, and talk about political issues. And so I'm, I feel very fortunate that we, we have you here today and speaking to our listeners to talk about political culture and talk about how that helps us to understand maybe a little bit more of the Texas approach uh, to uh, this pandemic and some of the challenges, challenges it has created. So thank you for joining us today.
1: Uh, it's good to be with you, uh, Dean Morrow, but since we know each other, that's the last Dean Morrow, and I'll call you Eric. If right, you don't very want. good.
0: Thank you, thank you. That, that, uh, uh, sometimes at home, it's hey you, so that'll be great. First names <laughs> are great. So <laughs> thank you for joining us. Uh, so just to really get us started here, I think as I've seen in the classroom and working with students over the years, this concept of political culture is something that is very foreign to most students. They don't know really You you introduce it to them. It's one of the more difficult things. I think you start a semester and you're trying to help them understand. So for the for the sake of our listeners, I think the first thing here we need to do is to kind of define what that is. And then what what does that mean in Texas? How would we look at political culture uh, in the state of Texas?
1: Yeah, political culture is an idea that everybody really knows, but they don't know the phrase and they don't know that they know what it is because political culture is defined uh, in, uh, in comparative politics, the study of nations and how they relate to each other and states and how they relate to each other, similarities and differences say that we all recognize between Texas and California. That's political culture, the nature of those differences. And so political culture means those widely shared sets of ideas about the nature of government and about what government should be designed to do and what the role of citizens are in government. So political culture is widely shared sets of ideas about government, what it should do and how it should do it. And political cultures vary between states, California, Texas, Connecticut, all view politics and approach politics somewhat differently. We think of California as a big government state, Texas as a small government state. And as you well know, Texas has been committed to small government and low taxes from its origins to yesterday.
0: I use that a lot of times I've been talking not just in meetings with administrators here, but even in the classroom about uh, Texas uh, uh, for a long time has spent less per capita uh, on government, which you know, sometimes you have to explain that a little more detail. But when you think about the number of people that live in this state and then you look at that compared uh, to other states and so spending has been kind of at the at the center of that. Uh, where, where does this come from? I know you've you've done research, you you present this in, in several of your books, but where where are these these influences come from? I and mean, what do we see are some of the dominant traits of political culture in Texas?
1: Yeah, there, there is a a, a famous uh, uh, a famous story about the, the Anglo settlement of Texas that if you were living in Kentucky or Tennessee or Missouri or Alabama, and you got into debt and you needed a fresh start, uh, you would put uh, GTT on the the wall of your cabin, gone to Texas. Uh, And so looking for a fresh start, and a fresh start in a place where government wasn't looking over your shoulder. So the idea of the political culture in Texas from its origins and all the way through its history is that Texans have been committed to small government, low taxes, light regulation, and a heavy emphasis on personal responsibility. Uh, So you mentioned uh, Texas taxes per capita per person being low compared to other states. In fact, uh, Connecticut has the highest per capita tax rate in the country at 140% of the national average. Texas has among the four or five lowest at 65% of the national average. So our per person tax rate is 65% of the national average and less than half per person of what Connecticut charges their citizens. But what that means is that Connecticut can have lots of parks, lots of libraries, lots of public swimming pools, uh, lots of good schools and, and public hospitals. They can do Obamacare. We do much less in terms of taxing. So we have to go light on parks, on libraries. Uh, We fund our schools at a lower rate than others do, and we didn't join Obamacare. So it means our commitment to less government and low taxes say we're going to do with less of that public services, but we're going to let you keep the money you earn in your pocket and do what you want to support and benefit your family.
0: We know today that that the state is certainly much more diverse than it ever has been, and it's continuing in that that uh, trend as the population grows. Uh, uh, so you know, so, some of this kind of understanding or development of political culture is is, I think, changing a little bit over over time. But uh, it's certainly, if you look at the politics of the state and you look at the people who are in in control of politics, uh, this these ideas are still very very dominant and. And while you, on the one hand, you have people who they want those things, they want schools, they want parks, they want swimming pools, they want, they want these things uh, when it, when it comes to how they view government, uh, it, it I, for, on my part, I think I see it as a little bit different. I mean, in that they, uh, there, there is some of, somewhat of a negative perspective of government and uh, that they don't often look at it in terms of what they provide, but as much as how the government can be controlled. Uh, I don't know your kind of your thoughts on that and seeing and how that's developed and and really where that is today in terms of the challenges of governing in the state.
1: Yeah, it is. It is true that that Texas uh, parents and families want good schools and they want health care. They want libraries and swimming pools, but they want low taxes more. And so when there's a, a choice to be made uh, between a tax increase and more money to the schools, you're not going to get support for a tax increase, and the schools will have to cut the balance. As we go forward to the 2021 legislative session, I think you probably agree that we can pretty well guarantee that we're going to cut to balance the budget. We're not going to be raising taxes. And it is true that the demographic change in Texas has been taking place for, for decades and will continue for decades more. And at this point, it's about 41% Anglo, 40% Hispanic, 12% Black, and an Asian population of 5 or 6%. Anglos are the ones that are committed to those low taxes. Hispanics, somewhat less so, and Blacks, not nearly as much, because Hispanics and Blacks know that they're going to get schooling in the public schools, and if they're going to get health care, they're going to get it through Obamacare or through some, some public program, but Hispanics vote at only about two thirds of the rate that Anglos do, and Anglos have the money to make the campaign contributions that drive our state politics. So it's the Anglo views that, as you say, are still dominant. They will be dominant going forward for a time, but will increasingly be challenged by a a, a minority majority New Texas, Blacks and Hispanics and Asians, Uh, together. So uh, Trump won in 2016 in Texas by nine points. Uh, Cruz uh, just squeaked through by two and a half points. So Democrats think that they're on the comeback trail. I think that Trump wins Texas again, probably by three or four, maybe five. So narrowing margins. uh, And uh, down the road, Texas will be a competitive two party state. But if Texas is competitive, at the presidential level in 2020, uh, it means that uh, that, uh, that Trump is having a very bad year.
0: So, in these times of crisis in Texas, so we're going back still a little bit before. So I've I've been uh, I was born and raised in this state. I've lived out outside of the state for a while, and actually in Massachusetts and New York. So I've experienced other political cultures. Uh, but one of the challenges that we've seen in Texas is when we go through these cycles of, uh, of, of crisis, uh, whether it's the Great Recession or whether it's a natural disaster, um, we, we've seen the, the challenges that come from that. Or we can even go back to when the federal government was uh, – uh, took over the state prison system. Uh, we we've always seen challenges in de- in the delivery of public education. Something that was attempted to be corrected a little bit at the last uh, legislative session, and now you know some of those gains may be uh, wiped out. Um, Uh, I I know as political scientists we're not in the business of making predictions as that that much. I mean we you know you try to set up models and we kind of look to see what the implications would be but but I've always when talking to students and and to others to say you know eventually there's going to be the perfect storm. There's going to be an economic crisis combined with other uh, challenges that is not going to uh, look favorably upon the way that the state can handle it in that in the past, it's been, okay, ignore this area or that area, and then try to catch up at some later legislative session when the budget looks better, or cut here, or cut there. Um, and it becomes, it, it, it's even challenged by the fact that the legislature only has about a third of the budget that, that they can move around. Uh, the rest of it is either uh, designated or it's federal dollars. This pandemic, uh, to, to me, it, it seems like it's one of those times that... Is a, is a perfect storm. Here you have something that is going to challenge the state economically, but in doing so is going to affect so many other areas uh, because of the, uh, the need, we already see in public education where you have um, different models that are gonna have to be accommodated, uh, uh, children and, and faculty, uh, teachers who are immunocompromised that will make delivery of instruction uh, more challenging sources of revenue that won't be there because you can't have a certain events. Uh, this this to me seems like one of those times. It could very possibly be that. And so this aspect of our political culture, where the focus is on economic growth, driving what government can do. On we got to have create jobs. And and if you go back three or four months ago, our con- the economy here was on fire. Jobs were being created highest revenue totals in you know in the history of the state uh, that has all changed so dramatically and uh I'm uh, uh, um, just bringing this into the forefront here to ask where where you see in terms of this this focus on uh, on the the economic elements of this and this being such a a driver of of government in that the focus is on low taxes limited regulation let's try to to keep the economy growing, creating more jobs, more money in people's pockets, so that they can spend it to then keep the economy going further. Um, where do you, where do you see that the the challenges in in this mix with that kind of approach, uh, where uh, we've kind of ignored some public services, but now we're we're not going to be able to do that in some areas.
1: Yeah, I think the the big dilemma uh, that Texas faces and has really faced. Uh, uh, in the past for for quite some time uh, is everyone understands that education is training the workforce for the future. And so we have uh, an economy that because taxes are low and regulation is light tends to boom during good times, but then tends because it depends very heavily on natural resources of various uh, kinds, oil and gas, in particularly uh, in, in recent decades, tends to be a boom and bust economy. So when it booms, we try to benefit businesses and families in Texas by keeping taxes low, feeling like we still have enough revenue to fund the schools. But when the economy tanks and goes down, that reduces our revenue and we cut the balance. So that in the 2008, 9, 10 Great Recession, Texas per capita spending on its public schools fell to 49th in the nation. Now, at 49th in the nation, that means 48 states are spending more per student than you are, and just one is spending less. There's no way on God's good earth that you can prepare the workforce of the future adequately if you're number 49 in the nation on, uh, on spending uh, for public schools. And ominously, Uh, Higher education is also in line, almost first in line for cuts during bad economic times uh, because the universities can, uh, the politicians think increase tuition. So we're in for a difficult period here going forward. Uh, The uh, governor and others have already instructed uh, the bureaucrats to cut 5% out of this year's budget and in the 2021 legislative session, they'll be cutting 10, 15%, maybe more than that. And in a low cost state like Texas, you're not cutting fat, you're cutting muscle and bone. So it's a difficult situation, but to give you a sense of, of the additional difficulty that Governor Abbott and others face in this pandemic that we're in now, everybody knows that social distancing and mass and washing your hands are the three things they tell you to do all the time. So a lot of Democrat local officials uh, in, uh, uh, in Dallas in, in Houston, San Antonio, are pleading with the governor to make wearing masks in public a requirement. Uh, and the governor is refusing because that impinges on the freedom of individual Texans. Well, yes it does, but in a pandemic without those masks, you're gonna get additional transmission that you might have been able to squelch if everyone had more in Max. So back to that political culture point, there are countries in the world and states in the United States that have a more public orientation uh, in their citizenry toward government and its responsibilities. So if you tell people in Connecticut, Massachusetts and Minnesota, places like that, we're all gonna to have to wear masks for a while to knock down this pandemic. Most of them will say, yeah, okay, we're all we're gonna do that. You tell people that in Alabama and Texas and Louisiana, they say, "You don't try it on me. Uh, it's my right, I don't believe this, I'm not gonna wear a mask. And Governor Abbott is unwilling to order them to do it because those are in many cases, Republican primary voters.
0: Right, you, you see that, that those uh, any directives like that. And we've seen this in the past. I mean, I grew up in the era of uh, uh, seatbelt laws, coming helmet laws on motorcycles. I mean, it's, you can go back and look at, at some of these issues where people have pushed back again. Okay, well, you're telling me what I can do in my own car, in my home, uh, uh, whatever it may be. Um, and, and so this this communal kind of identity and and then that that the lack of that kind of combined with a negative view of government. So the idea that government would would again tell you what you need to do to be safe. Uh, th- this just seems like again a really a really bad mix of events and challenges that are happening uh, that, that could be uh, uh, create even more challenges and could even be disastrous. I mean none of us uh, hope that, uh, but uh, you know I live here in rural Texas uh, in Stephenville. And uh, sometimes I'm the only one in a store or going out, you see very few masks uh, that the, and people have had a sense here, well, it's not happening here. Well, now, now it is. And uh, this, this idea and, and how that connects with political culture, I know one article I read was talking about uh, and the emphasis here on personal responsibility. So that, this is really the approach the state is taking. And that fits right into this kind of individualistic political culture. Uh, what, what are some of the characteristics of that that uh, have been very dominant and and, and and continued to be in the way people view government, that relationship with government and the way they respond to it?
1: Yeah, it, it's easy in the middle of this this pandemic to talk about the Texas political culture uh, as if uh, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense, as if, if it's getting in the way of us uh, responding to this Uh, this real set of critical issues. But it's also true to, to, to keep in mind that the Texas political culture of small government, low taxes, light regulation, personal responsibility, individualism, is at the end of the day, as Rick Perry used to say and Greg Abbott now says, about freedom, right? It's about you having the right to make choices in your life about how much to work, you know, about various uh, aspects of your life, including whether you want to wear a mask uh, during the middle of a pandemic. Uh, And a lot of times that individualism and freedom of choice is about you making choices for yourself and your family that don't necessarily impact other people directly. Uh, But this mask wearing and social distancing is not so much just about individual Texans, is about that old guy that you're gonna pass on the sidewalk who may be more vulnerable than you. And if you're not wearing a mask, you may uh, infect him to his detriment. So I wanna be sure that we're saying that the Texas political culture is admirable and positive and works well a lot of the time. But there are some things that are blind spots for it, that it doesn't see well and doesn't know how to respond to very well. And those are areas where you've got to cooperate with other people for the benefit, not just of yourself, but of other people. So throughout this process, there was famously uh, a woman whose name, I can't uh, recall exactly right now, who had a hairdresser shop in Dallas, maybe even in Plano uh, and opened it against the advice of all levels of government from local to national and declared that she had to take care of herself and her family. She was going to open her business to help with you guys. Uh, and, uh, and Governor Abbott and President Trump both said, more power to you. Uh, that individualism is what uh, America is about. But it can't be what America's about if all of us do that, uh, because that lets the pandemic run unchecked. So that individualism entrepreneurial tradition in Texas uh, is a very positive thing. It creates a lot of dynamism in the economy, a lot of freedom for individuals, but there are areas that it doesn't really know how to confront. We're in the middle of one of those now, and we have to wish ourselves luck, because as, uh, as you well know, and will certainly be the case when this airs on Sunday, the numbers are creeping up, particularly in the major urban areas of the state where 75, 80% of Texans live.
0: Right. And, and uh, it is, that's what, what I think. So at the same time, kind of scary about all this is what direction it could go in this kind of environment. And then I think also looking ahead, because now we know something like this can happen and can have an impact around the world. Uh, I was wondering, given the political culture of the state, what, what do you see are going to be some of the, the challenges in in addressing critical policy issues, especially public health in Texas, is one that that has not really been at the forefront, uh, and and certainly in the modern era. I mean, you 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 look at the the what we have is any kind of public health system, and it's it's very underfunded. It's it it, it really is is assisted by the fact that we have such a, a large public and private um, or, uh, or nonprofit uh, hospitals and, and medical uh, agencies and companies and so on. But uh, to me, this is one area that is going to have to be addressed both on the national level and the state level. But we really don't have a strong uh, uh, history in doing that. And, and, and it's also a very expensive area as well. I didn't know in terms of that public health, but it may be in other, other areas as well. What do you see are going to be some of the significant policy challenges coming out, uh, going forward, especially in this kind of political culture that we have in the state.
1: Yeah, I I think the the public health sort of broadly conceived challenges have always been uh, tremendous in Texas, and they remain so today. Historically, uh, the money that we have spent on mental health uh, has been about one quarter of the national average, maybe a third but, but very, very low. Uh, there is an ongoing uh, federal court challenge over how Texas has dealt with foster children that has been back, back in the major state newspapers over the last several, several days. Uh, Judge Janice Jack has been overseeing uh, the, uh, uh, the uh, foster ch- children system and it's a horror. Uh, it needs to be dealt with. We have the highest uninsured rate, uh, health insurance rate uh, in the country. And so that means that about one sixth of all Texans don't have health insurance and so can't go to the hospital. If they do, it's to the emergency room and they can't pay the bills at the end of the day. Uh, And I think that we will not make major public policy initiatives, even in the wake of the pandemic, in the short term, uh, under conservative Republican administrations, they will continue with the small government, low tax deregulatory approach. But as Texas politics becomes more competitive and we get some Democrat administrators, if they win the governorship at some point or win majority control of the Texas state legislature, then you're gonna get a real political fight between the low tax model and a higher tax, higher service model, where the argument would be, we have to improve public public education, we have to improve healthcare, mental healthcare, foster care, all of those kinds of things. And so I think until there is political competition and even political change in, in control of state politics, we're not likely to see uh, major policy changes, no matter how clear the need is, because that Texas model is very real and very entrenched among Anglo conservatives in Texas, and they still run the place. I think they won't forever. Uh, and I have been very interested to see, even as Democrats become more competitive. In the 2018 election cycle, Beto O'Rourke came with her two and a half points of defeating Ted Cruz, Democrats picked up 12 new Texas House seats, two new Texas Senate seats, and a couple of new U.S. House of Representative seats. And I think Democrats will pick up a few more U.S. House seats and Texas House seats. Whether they pick up the nine Texas House seats that would be required for majority control, I don't know. But in the face of a Democratic Party becoming more competitive, the Republican Party has made very few policy changes and certainly no tax increases. So I think it's going to be a while before we see policy change in Texas.
0: So that may be based on the transition we see in party uh, control of, of the legislature, of the governorship, of other areas. Do you, do you see that that? that change in political culture is driving that or or that 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 comes secondary. I mean because on the one hand we have party agendas and those agendas are sometimes influenced not just by state politics but national as well. Um, uh, I, for me on, on, on this and, and just uh, having lived in both rural and urban areas of the state, uh, I, I'm, I'm challenged here to kind of look at if people are actually changing or or like you said, there are different populations that have different views of government uh, or is, is this out, coming out of necessity uh, both in terms of demographic change, the state becoming more diverse, uh, but also the challenges that we're facing and that that's going to be more do more to shape political culture going forward than say we're, we're seeing people kind of changing from what you're saying is very entrenched and has been for so long in the state.
1: Yeah, I think that what one thing we have to be careful of, and I have to be careful of in, in discussions like this, is when I talk about political culture as being a commitment to small government, low taxes, deregulation, personal responsibility, that historically has been the Anglo political culture. Mm-hmm. That is not to say that Hispanics and Blacks don't share it, because Texas Hispanics are 10 points more conservative on polling and on voting than California Hispanics. So, Texas Hispanics in this Texas political culture are sort of soaking up some of that Anglo set of commitments, but not fully because they need public schools and they need uh, good health care. So, Texas Hispanics are Texans. And so, they're a little more conservative than Hispanics in other parts of the country. I think that's the same for Blacks as well, particularly uh, Black men. And so, Texas will always be more conservative than uh, New England, the upper Midwest, the West Coast, even after demographic change has brought two-party competition and maybe even Democratic party control. Even under Texas Democrats, Texas will be more conservative than many parts of the country. So political culture is real. It's general, but it's not identically shared. By all of the social, racial, and ethnic groups in Texas, it is the political culture of Anglo's in which Hispanics and Blacks share to some extent, but not completely. Theirs is a more uh, a more uh, uh, broader commitment to the public good, at least funding public schools and and health care. Uh, but it's also the case that big events often change people's sense of what. Uh, government should be about. So the Great Depression, 9-11, changed how people felt about government. It may well be that this pandemic and the economic difficulties that followed in its wake uh, will make people think twice about government, and maybe they'll change their views somewhat. Not wholesale by any means, but big social and economic events can change the way people think about politics
0: and its responsibilities. Well, I know one thing that you've pointed out in, in your work and and uh, and trying to address this and kind of at the heart of it in this state is uh, and, and this is probably a discussion for a future show, maybe on the other side of this, but uh, the way we do revenue, the way we do taxes, I mean, for a state that tries to tout itself as efficient, uh, that that there's some things that we could change, but it really requires people getting more engaged and understanding. How, what's working and what's not working and what we need to do to uh, make government uh, work better uh, for us. And I think that fits within this political culture that's that's, uh, that's dominant in the state. It's just that many people don't understand some of the challenges that are there and what what needs to be uh, addressed in a, a Texas that's very, very different than what it was a, a century, 150 years ago. Uh, well, I, I want to thank you for joining us uh, today. This is... a uh, Uh, always, this is very helpful in terms of understanding the political culture in the state and how it relates to these uh, current issues. And I look forward to the opportunity, hopefully in the future maybe, of having you uh, back on the show and we can uh, engage in some other very uh, challenging and uh, interesting issues uh, in the state of Texas.
1: Yeah, that'd be great. I'd rather have these conversations across the lunch table, but since we can't do that, this is a good alternative. So thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It's Cal Gilson who joined us today, who's a professor at Southern Methodist University, talking with us about political culture. We're going to take a short break and we will be back for more on politics. Ever find yourself wishing you didn't have to miss your favorite radio show? Well, wish no more because KTRL 90.5 FM is now streaming online. Tune in to catch your favorite broadcasts and shows live right at home from your computer or mobile device. To listen, please visit TarletonRadio.com or click listen live at
1: KTRL.fm.
0: Politics can be confusing, but On Politics with Eric Morrow has your back. Follow the show on Facebook. Search On Politics with Eric Morrow to stay up to date with the show and all the sources to follow right along. Hello listeners, my name is Ethan Miller, and I've been working here at Tarleton Radio since August of last year. You may have recently heard me hosting our NPR shows, Morning Edition and All Things Considered. During the shutdowns for the pandemic, I was able to continue working and five days a week I came on air to inform people where to find resources and policies as they were changing. If you'd like to help support us so we can keep bringing the news to you, you can donate at KTRL.fm. And thank you for listening. Welcome back to On Politics. I'm Dr. Eric Morrow, and we want to thank again Cal Gilson for joining us today uh, for that discussion on political culture. I do invite you to uh, check into his book, Lone Star Tarnished. I I think it's essential reading uh, for Uh, people who live in Texas because it helps give you the data, but also the background. And I think that historical context of knowing how political culture has developed in the state, uh, how various policy issues have developed and how uh, governance has been used to address those areas. And then to see some of the challenges, because in order to address those challenges and to make government more efficient, more effective, uh, to make government work for us and what we need it to in terms of. Uh, the common good, the quality of life of the people who live here, uh, especially in a state as big and diverse as the state of Texas. uh, And looking to demographic change and and the the changes that are gonna continue to happen uh, going forward. And then looking at challenging issues like uh, the current pandemic and how we use government to address that. And some of those uh, really critical issues at this moment are those uh of of the ability of government to act and react uh, and to be effective and so uh, i would encourage you that the book is lone star tarnished and it's available i think in the digital edition as well and i just highly recommend it for people uh, who want to have more background and understanding of very critical issues uh, in our state today Uh, for this last part of the show there's a couple of things that i wanted to turn to one is the status of the pandemic In Texas Uh, and as we're seeing with the reopening of the state over the past uh, uh, six weeks or so uh, that case counts are going up some of that is due to testing in prisons testing in nursing homes but also some of it is due to greater activity and levels of exposure uh, to people and as we talked about in the first segment of the show uh, this issue of social distancing of wearing masks, of the challenges they're navigating that as we've seen city officials request the governor uh, to mandate masks. Um, mayors that are caught in the middle here of trying to say well should we direct businesses to require these or not most saying not at this point uh, we are in a very tenuous situation here going forward to see where this thing goes and the capacity of the state to to adjust and and take care of the health needs of its people. The numbers, and and again, this is where it gets confusing for many people. Uh, Many people are are attached to those case count numbers and yes, those are going up. uh, It continues a steady rise uh, across the state. Uh, Yes, more testing is being done and that contributes to it. But really government officials are looking at the ability of the state uh, to handle that within the health system of the state, so looking at uh, the number of hospitalizations, the number of people who are in intensive care uh, as a result of this, the number of deaths uh, as a result of uh, of COVID-19. And so one of the things that, that we all need to be watching is, is, is digging deeper into this information, not just uh, looking at the case count going up, but what are the other aspects of this and what is happening in terms of uh, the, the hospitalizations uh, and those that are, that are dying from this. This doesn't negate the fact, and I, I don't want anyone to get that impression on my part, uh, that we need to focus on safety. Uh, we definitely need to focus on safety, and that is taking that personal responsibility that we talked about in the first half of the show uh, uh, on ourselves to protect not just ourselves and our families, but those that we may come in contact with uh, that are immunocompromised. Uh, this is going to be very challenging as we move forward. And so we're, we're not, we're not done with this yet. And as we saw uh, here in, in recent days, uh, the governor uh, came out and said that public schools will be meeting uh, kids will be back in school uh, in the fall. And while more guidance will be coming uh, from the Texas Education Agency regarding that uh, school districts across the state have already been challenged in trying to figure out uh, how this will be accomplished. Uh, what will be uh, h- how will this work? how How can you have uh, maintain social distancing in facilities that have limited space? How do you uh, protect immunocompromised children and even faculty? And of course, the f- the first solution there is that, well, they they learn and they teach from home,, uh, but that requires extra expense. It requires extra uh, facilitation. And that requires extra resources. And as we've discussed, Uh, Resources are going to be challenging uh, for public schools and and a lot of other areas. There's going to be reduced revenue. There could be reduced staffing as some uh, teacher organizations across the country are looking not only at layoffs uh, and what school districts are having to do because of the reduction in funding, but also those who decide to retire, those who leave the profession, those rates are already high in some parts of the country, including Texas, and may even increase uh, as a result of this. Uh, So these are all challenges that we're facing right now in, in both at the moment in terms of safety, how this thing goes, uh, how continuous reopening here has an impact based on our conversation in the first half of the show. uh, We don't see that ending. Uh, We don't see that slowing down in any way or or really going back in the other direction. Our political leaders are really locked into uh, the, 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 uh, economic impact here and of getting the economy going, uh, trying to deal with the impact that this has already had and trying to, to move forward and see if we can and work through this uh, without any more detrimental effects uh, to uh, the economy. And that that's already has happened and I think it will continue to happen. I think that's the, the prediction at the moment looking ahead to the next uh, legislative session is that that we've got to mitigate that impact in some way, and for our political leaders, that's getting people back to work, it's getting businesses open, it's getting economic activity going out there, uh, while trying to rem- uh, to address the impact of the virus itself. Uh, and so that's where all of this is is caught. It's all in the middle of this and in, in this this dynamic uh, with so many facets to it uh, that we will just have to continue watch as we go forward in the weeks and months ahead, which I think, again, are very, very critical, very critical uh, for public health, very critical for uh, the direction that the virus goes, very critical for how our state leaders, local leaders are addressing it, as as well as the federal uh, level, uh, but also how this is going to impact as we move back into a school year, Uh, what impact will it have on children at home, on families? uh of the way school districts function uh, all of these things are, are very complex and very challenging issues i've noticed that in, in my own work i mean every every time we turn to uh, look at a solution for a challenge in uh, functioning in the midst of this uh, it reveals another level of complexity of things that okay we haven't thought about that before or we haven't looked at that or here's now we have this challenge as a result of that and we need to address it. So I think that's the norm uh, going ahead for the, the weeks and months ahead, especially for a government, uh, for uh, the private sector, for businesses, uh, for people in general, in terms of, of their safety. Uh, so all of this too, and this is what I wanna turn to here to close the show today, uh, really directs our attention to what's happening on the national level. And I had mentioned last week that we would get back to this and that is the presidential election. Uh, all of this casts a very broad shadow uh, on uh, the election uh, because of the influence uh, that this is going to have, uh, uh, not just now, but in the months ahead. We already see that it is having an impact, how this is being addressed at the federal level, but also at the state level, but the impact that it's having on campaigns on political conventions, on elections that are happening over the summer. Uh, all of this is, is being rethought, relooked at, uh, impacted by the current uh, pandemic. But I wanna look just a moment at kind of where we are. I mean, polling is coming out now. Many of your uh, national uh, polls that are collective polls that are pulling information together are starting to come online as we look to the election in November, uh, starting to compile the data that gives us a kind of a, a glimpse of where we are on this day. And, and of course, one of the things that's very interesting to see as we uh, saw the challenges of the last election is that many of these uh, polling uh, organizations or, or groups or uh, data collection site centers. Uh, one of the things that they're uh, doing is saying we're, we're not predicting Okay, we're not we're not trying to forecast here to say, okay, well, uh, uh, this is who's going to win the election. They're being very very cautious, a lot more caution, and also a lot more is going into polling in terms of adjusting for the factors that impacted many polls uh, in the last uh, presidential election uh, that that showed uh, uh, that predicted the wrong outcome. Uh, so a lot of that's being addressed uh, and it, it's good. I mean, that's good work to be done to say, how do we adjust these models and correct them so that they can give us a better picture uh, of where we are uh, day by day leading up to the election. Uh, so one of the things that I just wanted to point out in looking at a few numbers is that uh, the national polls right now, as of today are showing that, that, that Biden has a nine uh per, point lead, a nine percentage point lead over Trump. Now we have to preface that for a moment. So I, w- I wanna say, okay, well, how do we view that at this point in time? Okay, so I'm not throwing this data out there to say, okay, Biden's gonna win the election because he has a nine point lead. Uh, we're very far from that uh, at this moment. And in fact, my point of uh, uh, that I wanna emphasize in talking about all of this is that this is probably one of the most, uh, uh, one of the uh, recent elections that has the most variables than what we've ever seen. Uh, And that is because of the pandemic, it's because of the economic impact, it's because of the Trump presidency, it's because of Biden, who he is and what he's done as well in his political career. There are so many variables and those variables, uh, we just don't know which ones will be dominant going into the election in November. I think that's what we all have to understand is that this is, this landscape could change very dramatically, very quickly, uh, and has a number of different facets to it in uh, the months ahead. But there are some interesting things to look at. And so in talking about this lead that Biden has in national polls, one of the things that's of concern uh, are swing states. Okay, That's where everyone starts looking because it is the Electoral College. It is that total Electoral College vote uh, that elects the president. And if you get into the many of the swing states, uh, the margin there uh, is below that 9%, okay? Not maybe 9% because some of the more populous states, Biden is leading and so on, but when you get into states like uh, Nevada, uh, New Hampshire, Florida, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, North Carolina. Uh, these are states that are true swing states that show a much closer margin. In fact, in Ohio, a 2.7% lead. In Minnesota, a 6.6% lead. Uh, New Hampshire, 7.7%. Um, uh, Arizona, 4%. So, what we what we need to look at here is to say that that this is anybody's election really at this point it the 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 there is a very uh, opportunity here for the trump campaign uh to make up ground uh in these states uh and to close that gap and in fact that gap uh, could be with either within the margin of error or there are many other factors like we're saying uh that could come into play and influence. Uh, and swing that group of voters that are within that margin uh, very quickly. Now another thing that's very interesting too that I want to point out is that now you have a couple of states showing up in the list of swing states uh, that have not been there in the past or as frequently. So when we get down to the bottom of this list, states that are now considered swing states or at least according to the data today, Georgia, Iowa, Texas, Okay, Texas, here's Texas at, at, the, at, the, uh, at the bottom of the list of swing states and looking at uh, the fall election. Who would have thought, and of course we alluded to that in the first part of the show and talking to Cal Gilson, that uh, politics are changing in Texas. And so right now, a Trump has a seven-tenths of a percentage point lead in Texas. Okay, when, you com- when polls are combined uh, and adjusted, uh, that is a very, very slim margin, very slim margin. Uh, of course, you know, there are many who are saying he, he, he will win Texas again, and I think that that's very likely uh, that he will do that because polling in Texas is often up and down and, and, and it depends on the, the polling groups that you get, but it also depends on the turnout uh, in the general election. But I'm, I'm really looking at this and saying, wow, Texas is now in that pack. It may be at the very bottom of the list, but it, it is actually uh, could be considered a swing state uh, because of the, the, the very slim margin of lead uh, that Trump has in Texas uh, at the moment. So what we're pointing out here and just to kind of wrap this up and we'll be coming back to these numbers along the way uh, is that there are lots of variables that are going to continue to influence uh, these campaigns. It's a race uh, that is very, very close. And it could go in either direction, uh, it, could, it could swing. If you look at these numbers and if you were a total up the Electoral College vote based on these numbers, uh, it would be a very uh, a, a strong Biden win. Uh, but we're not there yet. We're not in November. We're not at the election. And so we, we can't say that at this point. And what we see is a lot of states that are in play, enough states uh, that could uh, help Trump get the Electoral College votes that he needs. Uh, to be able to uh, win a second term. And so what you need to be doing with this, I think is looking at these various dynamics and things that are influencing these campaigns. And we'll we'll be talking about more of these uh, in the weeks ahead uh, as we look at uh, the, and track the presidential election and we see where, uh, where the nation is in dealing with some of these major issues and how that might impact uh, the voting outcome and the electoral college outcome Uh, in November so I want to thank you for joining us today it was great to have Cal Gilson with us I look forward hopefully we can have him back again uh, because there's some other issues including the state constitution uh, that I would like to talk about uh, with him Uh, but uh, uh, we will look forward to being back with you again next week Uh, we will be interviewing for the show a representative from equality Texas uh, to talk about the recent Supreme Court ruling on workplace protections Uh, for LGBTQ uh, people, and we will be uh, getting more in-depth with that issue, uh, as well as looking at other issues that impact you on the state, uh, local, federal, and even international. Yes, we'll get back to international issues uh, hopefully in the near future, uh, but I want you to continue to join us right here each week Sunday at noon on KTRL FM 90.5 on Politics with Eric Morrow. Thank you. Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from A.J. Hyer and Taylor Welch. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.